Hi, ladies. Welcome to Women in the Word. I'm Shelley Davis. I'm part of the Women in the Word teaching team. I'm so glad to be here today with all of you. My prayer is that you're as happy to be here today as I am. I love Women in the Word. I love being here each and every week. It is a great way to spend time together as women, studying the scriptures together. That's exactly what we're going to do together um, again this morning. My um, middle son was born with some health issues and that meant that he had to have several surgeries beginning when he was around eight months old. And over the years, we would periodically check into Cook's Surgery Center for those surgeries. And by the time he was around three or four years old, he was no longer able to be fooled that this was going to be a play date just because they had some playground equipment out front of Cook's. In fact, by three or four, he knew exactly what was going to happen that day. And one time when he was around four, we were in that um, playroom that is the surgical holding for the littles, um, and the anesthetist came in to talk to him and to walk him through all the things that were going to happen to him once they took him away from mom. She had no idea he could have told her what was going to happen to him, but she went through the whole thing. There's going to be a little mosquito bite stick, and then we're going to let you breathe this juice that'll make you really sleepy, and you can pick whether it's cherry or bubble gum. And so kind of matter of fact, he said bubble gum and went on playing with his um, Legos. But the second she left the room, he looked up at me and said, I think they should just tell you the truth. <laughs> it's not bubblegum, it's horrible. And then he went back to playing with his uh, Legos. Um, as we continue to talk with Paul and Timothy this morning, Paul is gonna tell Timmy the, the, Timothy the truth all about the faithless and the faithful, the straight up plain and real truth about the last days. And there's some of it that's pretty horrible or crummy. So open your Bibles with me. You may already be there to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to read verse 1 together. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Now Paul starts right off here with a warning for Timothy. Times are going to be tough in the last days. And the root word for the Greek uh, the, the root Greek word for the word difficulty that's translated here in my ESV Bible means violent, dangerous, or hard. The last days are not going to be a piece of cake. There's going to be no fun uh, in some of those last days. Um, they're going to be filled with violence. They're going to be filled with moral decay, godless people, and faithfulness, according to Paul. So you may be saying today as we sit here, I'm not going to be looking forward to that when it comes, um, but I hate to spoil it for all of us and certainly for Timothy. Timothy and each one of us is already in the last days because the term that Paul uses for last days here and in other places in the New Testament Paul uses it 
It refers to the days between the first century when Jesus ascended into heaven to be with the Father and when Jesus will return for the church at the rapture. Now, we don't know the number of those days or the timing of the days, but that period of days is what Timothy means, uh, Paul means to Timothy as last days. Paul does not mean that time is short. You've only got a short time, Timothy, or that there are a few days. He means that Timothy and all of us are in what's known as the church age, the final age before the return of Jesus for the church. Paul's desire for Timothy and for every one of us is that we're gonna be ready for the difficult challenges that the faithful are going to face in these days before Jesus returns for his church. Paul believes um, for Timothy and I think for all of us that forewarned is forearmed. We're not going to be surprised because of his words to us by the difficult times the faithless will have in the last days as we wait for Jesus. Okay, let's read verses two through five together. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people." Now, this isn't Paul's first warning to Timothy about faithlessness and what the godless people that are faithful look like in the last days. Look at 1 Timothy 4 with me on your verse sheet. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. Now the time is short for Paul. He sits in that Roman prison waiting to be executed. He repeats this warning again to Timothy. He gave it to him in his first letter. He's giving it here to him again. Even as in the first century, as the church is just born, apostasy already exists and surround those who are building the church. The faithless are going to make life difficult for the faithful. So Paul gets down to the specifics here of what that looks like when the faithless and the faithful try to live together in the last days. He gives Timothy a list of 18 characteristics here. I don't know whether you counted them all. Um, of the faithless. He begins in verse 2 by saying they are lovers of themselves. And he ends in verse 4 by saying they rather than lovers of God. So these are the bookends on the faithless right here. They're lovers of self rather than lovers of God. Um, these are the people who are going to try to deceive the faithful with their false teaching and their false character in the last days. And if you are a lover of yourself rather than a lover of God, the result of that is everything that Paul lists here between these bookends, that you're gonna be a lover of money, you're gonna be boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to your parents, without self-control, and on and on and on, as Paul says here. You know, Paul did not have the 24-hour news channels that we have, probably fortunately for him, to watch and see what's going on in the world. 
It was the Spirit of God that have given Paul an accurate picture of a world where self-love is the most prominent personal value and self-centeredness is a motive in all things. You know, it's interesting that Paul pegged the world we live in today sitting in that jail cell in ancient Rome in the first century. His insight into the faithless and the godless is certainly helpful for Timothy, but I think it's helpful for all of us today too because it lets us know that um, the faithlessness faithlessness that we see in the world today has not taken God by surprise. He has known what the last days would look like as all of us wait with his church for Jesus to come back for us. And it shouldn't be a surprise to each one of us as we do watch the 24-hour news channels each and every day. We can't say, where is God? Has he gone to sleep? No, God has written um, for us through Paul what the last days will look like. In verse five, Paul actually ices that cake of faithlessness with the warning that the faithless are gonna appear to be religious. They are going to act like they are believers. They're probably going to attend church and maybe carry a Bible with them. But Paul doesn't want us to be fooled. If we listen carefully to what they say about the truth of God's word and about God and watch what they do, we will discover that they actually deny God's truth even though they may be carrying it around in their hands. Paul gave Titus the same wisdom that he's giving Timothy here. As he shepherded the church on the island of Crete, Paul had left young Titus in Crete. And this is what he writes to Titus about this same problem. Look on your verse sheet. Titus 1.16 says, They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any work, good work. So after giving Timothy this in-depth description of the faithless that he is going to have to deal with in this brand new church in Ephesus, Paul actually gives him the key for dealing with all these faithless people he's going to um, be uh, saddled with. And it's pretty simple according to Paul. He tells us at the end of verse five, two words in my ESV, avoid them. Avoid them. It's perfect wisdom for the faithful in the last days, whether in Timothy's church or in our church today, um, as we encounter people who say they know God, but everything they do d denies him with their words. They deny him with their actions. They deny him with their lifestyles. These are the people that we should avoid. We need to put them out of our lives. We need to leave them off our Christmas card list we don't invite them to our Super Bowl party. These are not simply the lost. Uh, these are not simply the lost that live next door to us and don't know the truth of who God is that we need to reach out to and share the gospel. These are people that actually have heard the gospel, that have Bibles, that maybe attend church. They claim to have a relationship with God but they ignore God's truth in their life. There's a clip of an old Bob Newhart skit. Some of you are maybe are too young to know who Bob Newhart was, um, but I, I watch this clip on YouTube every now and then just because it completely cracks me up. It makes me laugh every time I watch it. Bob Newhart plays a psychiatrist, and he claims that he can cure anyone of anything 
in five minutes for $5. That's his um, uh, psychiatric practice. So in the skit, uh, it shows Newhart with this Roman patient. He takes her $5, he sets his timer to five minutes, and the woman begins to talk pretty quickly because she only has five minutes. So she begins to tell him of her problems. She says she doesn't get along with her mother and it's ruining her life. And as she says that, he looks her in the eye and says in a pretty loud voice, stop it. Stop it. Then she goes on about her phobias and the things that she's afraid of and he looks her in the eye and says, stop it, stop it. That's his great advice for her with every problem in her life. That's actually how I picture um, Paul as he reads, as I read this right here. He's saying to us, stop it. Stop hanging out with people who are masquerading as believers. They're living in sin even while they carry their Bibles. Stop it. I don't think he wants $5 for his advice. I think he'd simply be happy if believers, we would take his advice. Let's keep reading. Let's look at verses 6 through 9 in your Bibles. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of these two men. So here in verses six and seven, Paul addresses a real situation that Timothy is facing in the church in Ephesus. This is actually happening in Timothy's church. From this group of faithless self-lovers in his church, there's emerged a group of false teachers who were targeting women in the church. Now these are women um, in Timothy's church who may be young in their faith. They're gullible, they're vulnerable, Paul actually um, gives us four characteristics of these women in these two verses right here. First off, he tells us, uh, as he says, they are weak-willed women. What he means here is they're spiritually weak. They are not mature in their faith. Um, maturity and spiritual strength um, comes from knowing and being involved in the word of God. It comes from obeying the word of God. It comes from spending time in prayer, meditating on his truth. It comes from fellowship with those who are wise and faithful. The women of Ephesus are not doing these things that are bringing them, that might bring them to maturity. Instead, they're spending their time sitting at the feet of false teachers who are deceiving them. The next thing Paul tells us about these uh, women here in verses six and seven is that they're burdened with sin. That's logical, isn't it? That if you are new in the faith, that if you're gullible or vulnerable, there's a big possibility that you're going to be caught up in some kind of sin. The Greek word that Paul uses here for burdened in my ESV means piled up, heaped on, overloaded. In other words, these women are repeatedly involved in sin. It's not just a one-time thing that they've decided to walk away from. They keep participating in sin 
piling up sins in their lives. Now, we don't know what these sins are, but we know as women the things that we're susceptible to, don't we? We know that we're tempted by gossip and slander and covetedness and materialism, drinking too much wine, comparisons, even sexual immorality as women. These less than mature women in Ephesus could be involved in any or all of these things. I read a story um, not long ago, just a little blurb about a man um, who had been a heavy smoker all of his life. And as he continued to hear the news day in and day out that smoking was going to cause cancer and heart disease and probably end his life early, he decided he had to do something. He quit listening to the news. <laughs> Women that are piling sins up in their life have decided along those same lines, haven't they? They have quit listening to the truth. Instead of stepping out of sin, they have stepped out of the truth. The next characteristic that Paul shares with us in verse six is that these women are easily led astray by all sorts of things that captivate their curiosity and their self-centeredness. His words are, they are led astray by various passions. And in the original language, the Greek, what that means is they're looking for novelty and excitement. They're looking for the next spiritual high instead of the solid steadiness of a mature faith. Unfortunately, just like all of us enjoy redecorating, don't we? That sofa that we've had for years or the paint color in our living room, uh, we get tired of it and we wanna change it, don't we? There are women in Ephesus who have decided to redecorate their faith as well. They pursue new experiences that these false teachers are offering. Um, they're being deceived to believe that these new experiences are better than the real truth of God's word. The last characteristic that Paul offers us here for these women that are being deceived in Ephesus by false teachers is that they're always learning and never understanding. Now, always learning would seem like a great idea if Paul had not added, never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. One theologian I read described these women this way. He said, in their restless quest for the new and novel, they turn to every new doctrine that comes to their attention. They have an insatiable curiosity about religion, but little discernment to distinguish truth from error. These women in Ephesus are so busy pursuing the wrong things, sin in their lives instead of purity, excitement instead of maturity, emotional highs instead of stability and obedience, and novelty instead of faithfulness. They're so busy pursuing the wrong things that they miss the real truth of God's word altogether. And they miss it with the help of false teachers who are spurring them on to pursue the wrong things. Paul wants Timothy to know, hey buddy, this is happening in your church among your women in Ephesus. Your women are chasing the wrong things and they're being led into it by false teachers. But these verses are not just for Timothy. They hold great wisdom for us in the church today because in the last days where we sit here in the pews in our church, there are false teachers in our world too, false teachers who carry Bibles and attend churches, 
false teachers that want to draw each one of us away from the real truth of God's word. Our responsibility as women in the church is to resist the temptation that false teachers offer and they dangle it out there to us because we have so much opportunity through social media and the internet to engage with people that are dangling the wrong things. As women today, we have to resist being a follower of the latest spiritual fads, that new thing that's popping up there that seems exciting that we should explore, the new hip conference, the sensational author or book that you've been hearing, speaker that you've been hearing about. These are the things that Paul is talking about here to Timothy. They offer novelty, they offer emotional highs, they offer teaching that is supposedly new and different and exciting than what we're learning Sunday after Sunday as we sit in the pews of our church or every Thursday or Wednesday or Tuesday or whenever you attend Women in the Word or your Bible studies. False teachers in our world today also seek to prey on our emotions with promises of enlightenment. Um, if you look at these uh, opportunities uh, closely enough, you're gonna see some distinctive things, things that when I explore them, I always think are a little bit of a red flag, so you have to look at it carefully. Um, oftentimes, these offerings, whether it's a conference or a book or a speaker, use dramatic language to describe them. They don't use just simple words like, we're gonna teach women or train women or help women understand the scriptures better. The word, those words are not very novel and exciting, apparently. What you see in some of these things that are offered through social media and the internet and conferences and sensational speakers, you see words that are dramatic and intense. Some of them, I, I've been keeping a list of them recently. It's radical, intense, unleashed, ultimate, mutiny, transformed, extreme. Those kind of dramatic languages, words that um, um, evoke a dramatic image and response. Now I know there are those of us here in the room today that are familiar with um, uh, Christian author and celebrity Jen Hatmaker. You may have been following the controversy that has followed her, surrounded her um, just in the last few weeks. Jen has written a lot of books. She has a popular blog. She's a popular conference speaker. And she is, if you've had any uh, interaction with her material, you know she is a funny gal. She's intense and she's emotional. Um, she offers feelings of novelty and emotional drama that are attractive to all of us as women. She has a gift for that. Sadly, and this just makes me weep when I was reading about it. Sadly, Jen has decided to revamp and revise God's word concerning homosexuality and same-sex marriage to fit what she believes is loving and compassionate. She gave an interview two weeks ago with the Religious News Service, and she professed to believing that same-sex marriage relationship was holy before God. She spoke about the fact that she would look forward to dancing and celebrating with a same-sex marriage that her family or friends were, would be involved in. 
Now what Jen is so sadly missing here, heartbreaking to me and to those that may have been involved in her ministry, what she's missing here as she interprets God's word to fit more neatly into her world, her view of the world, is that God's word is never subject to bending, changing, revising, or revoking because we feel like it. We feel like the truth is too harsh to share in the world around us. God's truth, and I know you all know this and believe this, is lovingly meant to protect us, isn't it? It's meant to guide us. It's meant to keep us out of the high weeds of sin that can change our lives. God did not give us truth so that we could change it to fit what we decide is right and true. God gave us truth to lovingly change us into what is holy and right and true. No matter how winsome you are, if you alter God's word to fit your personal agenda or your personal beliefs, unfortunately, heartbreakingly, sadly, you are a false teacher. We see, as we read Paul's concerns to Timothy so many years ago in the church in Ephesus um, about false teachers captivating women, that nothing is new under the sun, is it? False teachers were a problem 2,000 years ago for women, and they're still a problem for women today in our postmodern world. Fortunately, Paul does have some good news for us when it comes to false teachers. In verses eight and nine, Paul tells us that false teachers will never last long. They'll never last long. They will eventually be found out. Someone will root out the sin that is in the way they have interpreted or changed the word of God. And when that happens, they're going to be disqualified and they will be the epitome of faithlessness as the church waits for Jesus to return. So we've already really talked about what our application is today as we consider Paul's words in these first nine verses. As he talks about faithlessness and false teachers, we saw it in verse five earlier. Just like Timothy, we have got to avoid the faithless in the last days who love themselves more than God. And as women of faith, we've got to be discerning. We have got to be discerning. When someone hands you a book or invites you to hear a speaker or signs you up for a conference, take a look at it, ladies. Look at the doctrinal statements. Look at who the speakers are going to be on the platform because there are false teachers out there who are going to prey on the gullible and the vulnerable and the less mature. Avoiding the faithless and the false teachers means checking our relationships and our influencers because the winsome but faithless crowd that we may want to follow and be a part of is never gonna contribute to growing us in faithfulness. Paul said this to Timothy in his first letter. Look at 1 Timothy 6, 11 on your verse sheet. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. What great advice for all of us as women today. 
Okay, let's keep reading. Look at verses 10 through 13 with me. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You know, there's no bubblegum flavor here, is there? Paul did not sugarcoat his message to Timothy about faithlessness in the first nine verses. But now he does give him a great picture of the faithful life in the last days. For the last 16 years, Timothy has been an intimate part of Paul's life and his ministry, and Paul commends him because he has followed Paul's faithful example. Timothy has observed Paul's life of faith and his faithfulness day in and day out. He's seen his patience. He's seen his love. He's seen his teaching firsthand, not just for a week or a month or even a year, but almost two decades. Because of his close association with Paul, Timothy has grown into this incredibly faithful man that God is using to build his church. With Paul as his example, Timothy has been able to avoid false teachers and faithless companions, and he's grown into a faithful leader, a faithful shepherd, a faithful pastor. Not only has Timothy witnessed and been influenced by Paul's faithfulness over the last 16 years, Timothy's seen God's faithfulness to Paul as well. Suffering and persecution has been a part of every step of Paul's journey. If you were here for Acts, we looked at all the things that Paul endured as he spread the gospel throughout the world. And Paul reminds him here, hey, you know what happened to me in Antioch, in Iconium, and in Lystra. I endured persecution and suffering. You also know, Timothy, how God rescued me from all of them. Paul doesn't offer Timothy rose-colored glasses here about Timothy's own faithful journey with, with God. Choosing to live a life of faithfulness will always come with a measure of suffering and persecution. In verse 12, Paul is pretty blunt with Timothy about it when he says, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. He doesn't say some, and he doesn't say maybe. His blunt reminder here is not meant to scare Timothy and make him run from Ephesus and give up the church. His reminder to Timothy and to us is so that none of us is going to be shocked when it comes. When it comes, when we suffer um, persecution or suffering in the world or see it out there, we shouldn't be shocked. In a past life, I was a labor and delivery nurse and I spent a lot of years standing by the bedsides of women who were in all stages of labor. And some of those years were before I had my first baby and experienced my first labor pain. And let me tell you, I had seen a lot by the time I had a labor pain. It did not shock me when I had that, you know, that first hard labor pain that you think, uh-oh, this is real, you know. I know exactly what's gonna happen here. I had seen it. I had seen every kind of labor. I was prepared. It was hard, but I was prepared. I asked for drugs immediately. <laughs> uh, I knew, 
I knew what was available and what was out there. <laughs> Timothy and all of the faithful are gonna endure persecution and Paul wants him to expect it. Don't dread it, just be prepared for it. And when you do, you need to be able to do exactly what Paul did, Timothy. By his faith in Christ, he endured persecution. He trusted God to rescue him, and he wants Timothy to remember that. He knows what Timothy's life is going to look at. Look at Psalm 34 with me on your verse sheet. I cannot help thinking that Paul, who was an Old Testament scholar, had this psalm in his mind every time he suffered. Psalm 34, 19 says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of all of them. Along with the reality of persecution, Paul shares with Timothy in verse 13 that evil is going to increase. He doesn't tell Timothy or us how long the last days are going to last, but he does tell us however long they last, there's going to be um, an intensity in sin. There's going to be a proliferation of false teachers. As the faithful and the church go forward decade after decade, sin and false teachers are going to multiply. And with these false teachers will come the lie that Paul's own life is refuting here. The lie that the Christian life should be filled only with great health, great wealth, intense prosperity, complete happiness. When you hear, ladies, the prosperity gospel or the health and wealth gospel as we hear it, the lie that some false teachers in our day proclaim that if you're a believer, you should wake up every morning to the sun shining and the birds chirping. Paul's life and his words to Timothy here should hang a big sign over every one of those people that say that, that says false teacher. Paul's example of the faithful life is a testimony to the truth that this side of heaven, the faithful are going to have great opposition from the prince of this world and great dislike from the faithless. Look at Ephesians 6.11 on your verse sheet. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And John 15, 19 says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Paul's message about persecution and suffering to all of us and to Timothy is that this side of heaven, the faithful will endure increasing evil, persecution, and false teaching. Okay, let's finish up. We have three more verses to look at. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped, for every good work. 
God's word has been life-changing for Timothy, life-changing. He was taught the word of God as a child sitting at the feet of his mother and grandmother, Lois and Eunice. And as an adult, he has not only seen them live out their faith, the truth of God's word, he's seen Paul live out the truth of God's word. The word of God has brought Timothy wisdom and salvation, Paul writes here, and Paul challenges him to continue to remain faithful to the word of God that has shaped him and changed him. It's been the driving force in Timothy's past. Paul also wants it to be the driving force in Timothy's present and his future. And he shares with Timothy that even though The word of God has come through the pens of God's chosen writers. All of them are in fact the very words of God. They don't simply contain some thoughts of God or a little bit of God's feelings or his character. The holy scriptures are forever and always God's own voice. They are his heart. They are his mind. They are his will given supernaturally to his people The term God breathed that Paul uses in verse 16 gives us a picture that God has supernaturally infused his character into the words that we hold right here. Just think about that for a minute, ladies. God's God's character supernaturally on the pages of our Bibles. Theologian B.B. Warfield wrote that the scriptures owe their origin and their distinctiveness to God himself. This is the abiding character of the scriptures. Look at 2 Peter 1.21 with me on your verse sheet. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And because these are God's own words, Paul understands that they are the perfect tool. The perfect tool for Timothy's present life, but they're also the perfect tool for his future ministry as well. The false teachers in Ephesus that Timothy is faced with are going to teach from their own wisdom, aren't they? They're going to give their own version of the truth. Timothy is going to teach others with God's inspired, God-breathed word of God. False teachers are going to correct those in Ephesus when they disagree out of their own knowledge, out of what they can think up in their head is right. Timothy is going to correct and rebuke right here from God's word. It's perfectly inspired wisdom to correct those who are off track. Whenever you run into someone and think, I don't know what to say about them, about what's going on in their life. Yes, you do. It's right here in God's word. False teachers are going to use their own made up efforts to pervert the lives of men Timothy is going to use God's word to train those in the church of Ephesus in righteousness. God's word is the perfect tool for the job that Timothy has been given to build and strengthen the church in Ephesus. God did not give us his word to satisfy our curiosity about him. He gave us his word to build his church and to equip his saints It's the tool that we need. You know, and no one understands that better than Paul. Paul knows in his heart and from his own experience that it's the word of God that is going to build God's faithful, build the equip God's faithful to build his church. Look at 2 Peter 1 3. 
His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know, as we sit here today, we are not building a church in Ephesus, are we? But we are God's faithful, and we are surrounded by a faithless world. So the two lessons that we've seen Paul give Timothy in these last verses are for us as well. Timothy has learned faithfulness from Paul's example, hasn't he? He's seen Paul's life up close and personal. He had heard him teach the truth. He had heard Paul live the truth. He'd seen him suffer. He'd seen him um, rejoice in God's protection. We have, must also learn faithfulness by surrounding ourselves with those who are faithful and learn by their example. The praise time this morning was such a great example of uh, your praises about the faithful in your life. When we have the faithful around us, we can watch how they live, can't we? How they endure, how they trust God in the best times and in the worst times. That's the first thing that Paul teaches Timothy here in these verses. The second thing that Paul teaches Timothy is that he has the power of the word of God in his life. The power of the word of God. It saved him, it's made him wise. In the future, it was going to be the tool he was going to use to equip the saints. If Timothy depends on the word of God, his life will not only be changed, but he's going to continue to change the lives of others around him through God's word. In the last days, ladies, faithfulness will mean that we also have to depend on the word of God, depend on it to keep us from sin, depend on it to make us wise and discerning, and depend on it to help us to equip us to build the church. If we depend on the word of God like Paul did, and like he wants Timothy to. It is gonna change our lives, but it's also going to change the lives of everyone around us. Pray with me. Father, you are a great and a good God. I cannot praise you and thank you enough for the truth of your word that we have the privilege of holding copies of right here in our hands this morning, the privilege of studying it, the privilege of taking it deep into our hearts so our lives would change. And Lord, that's my prayer for all of us um, this morning, uh, today, that you would um, continue to teach us from your word, that we, as we're the faithful, surrounded by the faithless, that we would immerse ourselves in your word and be changed. Lord, I thank you for this church, for the truth of the word of God, and for our Lord Jesus Christ, and I pray this in his name. Amen. Thanks, ladies.